Section 26 of Sir Francis Drake by Julian Corbett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 13. The Last Treasure Hunt, Part 3. But for old John Hawkins the change brought no relief. Grieving over his misfortune, he was falling deeper and deeper into the clutch of his sickness. He was sinking fast when Drake, having discovered a secret channel to the southward, sallied out from his hiding-place, and slipping in behind the Spanish scouts, appeared unannounced before Puerto Rico. Sounding as he went, he brought up the fleet to the astonishment of the Spaniards in a road where no ships had ever been seen to anchor, and where the dying admiral breathed his last. His death was perhaps no loss to the expedition. It had suffered already severely from the caution which grew upon him with age and failing health. But if, as a fighting admiral, his reputation was lower than that of others, yet no one could forget that it was to him that England owed all that was good in her navy, and the gloom which the fine old seaman's death cast over the fleet was still to be deepened. As Drake sat at supper that evening on board his flagship, the Defiance, discussing the forthcoming attack with his officers a round shot crashed through the cabin drake's chair was smashed under him sir nicholas clifford who alone had supported hawkins in his fatal council was killed on the spot and a young officer named brute brown to whom drake was particularly attached was mortally wounded it is no wonder that under the shadow of these losses the fleet was removed out of range and that nothing further was attempted that night on the morrow however drake again astonished the spaniards by bringing up his fleet in another unknown anchorage close to the town and yet masked from its guns he spent the day in his barge seeking a weak point to attack but the result of his reconnaissance was only to show how hard a task he had before him and he resolved that night to burn the frigates which had come for the treasure that it might not escape him while the town was being reduced. In person he led the boats to the mouth of the harbour, and having shown each its station he retired. A desperate fight ensued. Again and again the vessels were fired, and as often they were extinguished. At last one was fairly in flames, but by its light the garrison, reinforced by the newly arrived crews, poured in such a murderous fire from the shore that the English were compelled to retire with heavy loss. The failure was disastrous, but so far from discouraging Drake, it stung him into perhaps the most daring resolution of his adventurous life. Where the boats had failed, he knew the ships could succeed, and determined to wipe out his defeat, he made up his mind to carry the whole of his warships right inside the port and crush the enemy with an overwhelming fire. To carry out this unprecedented stroke, during the following morning he worked the fleet to windward, and in the afternoon ran down free for the mouth of the harbour. Already it had been partially blocked by sinking the great treasure galleon, and as the English approached, the Spaniards were seen to scuttle three more vessels at her side. To continue his course was to wreck the whole fleet, and Drake was compelled to abandon his splendid attack and bear up again for his anchorage. 
unwilling however to abandon the enterprise altogether on the morrow he made a new reconnaissance but so greatly had the spaniards been able to strengthen the fortifications since the arrival of the frigates that he was convinced the capture of the place by land operations was beyond the power of his weakened force in vain some of the soldiers urged a new attempt bold as drake was none knew so well as he when daring merged into folly in his gasconading way he told them he could bring them to a score of places richer and more easy to take and years ago before irresolution had ruined england's chance he could have made good his boast the soldiers still believed he could perform his promises and so as the evening closed in hawkins and clifford were solemnly committed to the sea and under cover of the night for the first time in his life drake bore away beaten perhaps it had been better if he had stayed and fought it out but as his end drew near the scenes of his youth seemed to call him with irresistible voice as he made his boast to the soldiers there was in his mind a day long ago when he had had his first sight of the fabled indies and under captain lovell had lost his all his life was waning that day was still unavenged and across the caribbean sea drake led his squadron to la hacha this time he did not even permit the fleet to appear in sight of the threatened port the only effect of his failure seemed to be to produce a distrust of all but the daring shifts on which his reputation had been founded and as in his first great exploit he had crept with his three boats into nombre de dios so now from cape de la vela he sent his flotilla to steal along the coast and surprise la hacha but it was no case for surprise on his arrival the following day with the fleet he found his troops in unopposed possession of a town deserted and stripped bare he seized the neighbouring pearl fishery but that was bare too and for a week no offer of ransom came at last he agreed to accept thirty thousand ducats but when at the end of another week the pearls in which payment was to be made arrived they were found to be unconscionably overvalued with a magnanimity almost quixotic drake refused to touch a pebble and instead of keeping what he had got and demanding more he chivalrously gave the envoys four hours to clear themselves and their treasure not another ducat did he get he had yet to learn a new lesson and find how little a roving force like his can do against a great empire resolute not to ransom open towns the governor had arrived and refused so much as to discuss the question on the morrow baskerville burnt an inland village it had no effect and next day drake fired the town as well as the rancheria of the pearl fishers and all their boats thus he took his long deferred revenge upon la hacha but true to his simple creed he would not suffer a hand to be laid upon the church and with a touch of that gentleness that gilds with knightly grace his most savage devastations he spared from the flames the house of a lady who begged his mercy at santa marta farther to the westward the same scene was played and on christmas day with the smoke of the burning settlement rising behind him he bore away for nombre de dios here too the town was found deserted by its inhabitants and was occupied almost without resistance 
at the first sign of their approach the governor had fallen back to panama and without losing an hour baskerville started in pursuit with seven hundred and fifty men it was all that sickness and casualties had left available for the service for it would seem to have been drake's intention to ascend the chagres river with another column for three days however he remained where he was to search for buried treasure and to fire the town this done he prepared to weigh but ere the anchors were up there came flying through the blackened ruins of the panama gate a message of disaster baskerville was in full retreat on the ships hurled back from impassable entrenchments then it was that the undaunted heart began to wax cold the jovial face grew sombre the cheery smile to which his men had ever been accustomed to look for light in the darkest hours had faded and failure began to haunt him as he recognized how the terror of his name had changed the indies the seas were deserted the ports bristled with guns and feverish wakefulness had supplanted the old dreamy security yet not a word of doubt was suffered to pass his lips it matters not man he would cry to any croaker that repined god hath many things in store for us and i know many means to do her majesty good service and to make us rich for we must have gold before we see england he called his council of war together and showed them on the map truxillo the famous port of honduras and the el dorado where the golden towns lay clustered around the lake of nicaragua he asked which they would have and stout-hearted sir thomas baskerville cried both so it was resolved without much ado all the spanish shipping in the port was given to the flames and thus still marking with fire the road to his grave and abandoning himself to the old adventurous dreams of his boyhood he led his desperate treasure-seekers across the mosquito gulf it was a quest as wild as any his buoyant youth had dared he knew no more of what lay before him than what the ill-drawn maps revealed nor had he now the high spirits that were wont to make a sport of danger damped with failure and in cold blood he was bent on saving his reputation or dying with it the very hand of god seemed to wave him back as he struggled westward against contrary winds until so foul and boisterous grew the weather that driven at last into the depth of the gulf he had to take shelter behind a desert island called escudo de veragua in all the indies no spot displayed in fouler guise the black side of the western paradise the radiant tropic growth of flower and palm invited the sick to seek recovery upon the putrid soil beneath and as the ships bore them into the fairy creeks loathsome reptiles started from a slime that reeked of death but drake would not give way day after day he clung under the lee of the deadly shore hoping each hour for a wind to carry him on with his eyes still bent forward he kept the men busy setting up the pinnaces which would be required to ascend the san juan river that the delay might not be lost time but day after day the wind continued foul and with each returning dawn new victims sank in the poisonous air drake himself was stricken with dysentery but still he strove against his fate till he had no strength to leave his cabin nor was it till his sickness had imprisoned him a week 
that he consented to weigh and let God take him where he would. But it was now too late. He had drunk too deep of the island's breath. He had defied his fate too long. As the fleet sped back eastward, the pestilence ran riot through the ships, and the admiral lay still and conquered in his bed. Broken in spirit, he could not shake off the disease, and when, after a week's tempestuous voyage, the fleet anchored off Puerto Belo, he was lying speechless at death's door. But it was not thus a soul so stubborn could pass away. It was the 28th of January, 1596, and as the dawn of his last day broke, a delirium seized him. He rose from his bed and clothed himself, called like a dying Viking for his arms, and raving in words none cared to record. Yet we can hear him railing at traitors who had stolen his life with poison, and see in his last frenzy the origin of those envenomed rumors that whispered of foul play. His fury passed, they led him back to bed, and there at last, as quiet as a sleeping child, the sea king died. In the fine roadstead of the newly founded port the fleet cast anchor, and as the news spread from ship to ship, the first desire of all was to hurry home as best they could like sheep that have lost their shepherd. Of continuing the venture there was not a thought, save to seize the half-built settlement for a burnt sacrifice to grace the burial of the dead commander. On the morrow the last rites were performed. Enclosed in a leaden coffin, the body was carried a league to sea, and there, in sight of the spot where his first victory had been celebrated, amidst the lament of trumpets and the thunder of cannon, the sea received her own again. At his side was sunk two of his ships for which there was no longer need, and all his last taken prizes, and for a pall he had the smoke of the latest fort which his lifelong enemy had raised against him. So the fleet went its way, and left him lying like a viking, dead and alone amidst his trophies on the scene of his earliest triumph and his last defeat. At home, while the weed waved over that silent resting-place, every dockyard was noisy with the hum and clatter of shipwrights as the great fleet grew and gathered, and while the Spanish Indies made high holiday over the dragon's fall, England, in busy anticipation, watched vainly westward. The arm for which she was forging the mighty weapon was never to wield it. To such a supreme effort Drake had toiled to spur her through long years of labor, with his life in his hand, too often with a rope round his neck, and now on the eve of accomplishing his life's work, he was dead like a sick girl of an inglorious death. Others were to reap where he had sowed, and hands unfit were to prove the hero's sword. In their eager grip it bit deep and hard. The giant reeled with a gaping wound in his side. But then the sinews of his assailants failed, and he arose again dogged and huge and terrible still. The End End of Section 26 Recording by Pamela Nagami in Encino, California December 2018 End of Sir Francis Drake by Julian Corbett